RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, along with Amanda Stein. Welcome to Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Amanda, are you much of an athlete? No. Okay. And I <laughs> ask that because... I'll be the first one to admit, no, I am not. <laughs> because I am average at best. But I bring it up because, you know, my high school teams, we really didn't win anything. I was on a college intramural basketball championship team. Wow. But to show you, yes, well, to show you the extent of my athletic accomplishments, that's what I talk about. Intramural <laughs> championship a long it's time okay. ago. My point is, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that uh, in grade 11, which is what we call it in Canada, not 11th grade or whatever it is, um, I played on our football team. I had Did one you? season. Yeah, I had, I played one season on our football team, like our, uh, touch football. Uh-huh. Um, it was great. I loved it, but that is like literally that one season is the extent of any sort of. What position did you play? I don't football? even know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like I think the entire time I just had to like pretend I knew what was happening. I I just thought it was cool to be on a sports team and you got to leave school early for practice. So it's like I okay, it. I could do this. And I, honestly, Maddie, I have. No idea what I was doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I love it. Some who saw me play would say I had no idea what I was doing out there as well. But the reason I bring it up is that I because I have limited athletic ability, I have constantly been amazed and will forever be amazed at those who have true athletic mm-hmm. ability. That's why I love covering the National Hockey League. It's the best of the best in the best league in the world, and they do things that astound me on a regular occasion. And that leads me to our guest on this edition. Not only could he do marvelous things on the ice, but he was part of winning teams wherever he went, not only with the New Jersey Devils, but when he left to join his brother in Anaheim, he won on the world junior levels. He won on the Memorial Cup level, world championships, Olympic medals. Scott Niedermeyer, Scott <laughs> was a joy to watch and a winner wherever he went. I mean, I I think my perspective of Scott is less as a New Jersey devil and more of who he has been for Hockey Canada, um, being the captain of the 2010 Olympic team, uh, that one gold medal where Sidney Crosby scored, you know, what in Canada we call the golden goal. Um, 
for me, that's really where he is on my radar. And it's a wonderful place to be because, you know, not only is he loved in New Jersey, but, you know, he's a big part of the success of Canadian hockey. He was an effortless skater, which really does not do him well, because I know he worked awfully hard <laughs> at accomplishing everything, but he was as smooth a skater as I've ever seen. And his teammates laugh about the fact that they would work hard at practice, drenched to the bone, and he'd come into the locker room, <laughs> take off his jersey, and it'd just be a little sweat dot, just a small like, thing in the middle of his chest. He could just put on his like, suit and walk out of there. <laughs> Incredible. Scott Niedermeyer certainly has his place in Canadian history, NHL hockey history, and is beloved for what he did for the New Jersey Devils. So how appropriate is it that a former flag football standout in Canada <laughs> and someone who played sparingly at that on an intramural basketball championship team have the opportunity to speak with one of the greatest players in Devils history as we welcome Scott Niedermeyer. Joining us from Penticton, British Columbia, Scott Niedermeyer. Scotty, great to see you. How are things? Yeah, good to see you guys. Um, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. Um, crazy world uh, these days, as everybody knows. So um, we're hanging in there. Everybody's doing pretty well. So thank you. Well, it uh, is good to hear that. What keeps you busy these days? Um, it's probably as quiet as it's ever been, in all honesty, just with, you know, everybody's probably in a similar boat in a lot of ways. but. Um, I'm coaching my youngest son now. My my older boys are playing junior hockey, so I'm not really involved with them anymore. I used to help out with all their teams, which kept me quite busy every night. I was at a rink for one or two hours with practice and gone all weekend. But now we're just our, it's just our youngest. And uh, I took the the head position for the first time, so fully committed to to his team and been enjoying that. But uh, you know that that's a pretty light schedule, and um, you know then watching my other boys play they've been shut down now for a couple of weeks but they were able to play through september until early november um so doing a bit of that we yeah, have so, sorry, oh, sorry i was gonna say do your kids like being coached by dad because to you to them you're dad right uh, yeah that's a good question i i think <laughs> looking back they'll be thankful i don't know in the moment sometimes if if they think it's all that great um you know, I, I know I have enjoyed being around, being able to go on road trips, uh, be on the ice with them, um, you know, and helping out everybody on the ice, them included, um, with things I've sort of been taught or learned through my career. Um, I think when I retired, that was something I, I recognized was how much I benefited from teammates, coaches, right from six years old until I was in the NHL, um, you know, and through the NHL. So it kind of felt like a, a duty in a way to sort of give back uh, what was given to me and, and maybe just keep it going in, in that circle. I would also uh, think that you want to be involved because as a good parent, you want to be involved. But there's so much that goes into being a professional hockey player. First off, we know about the obvious, the travel and you know the games on nights and weekends and so on and so forth. So you can't be there as much as you would like. But all the other preparation, the Preparing for a game mentally, uh, I know many of your teammates have talked about it. What was it like for you? Because, like, were you the kind of player who the morning of you focused in, the night before you were locked in? You know, when did that quote unquote commitment to the game start to develop? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, like you said, it's a, it's a very in-depth process to go through to learn. Um, you know, it does start when you're young, but, uh, you know, there's a lot to learn and, and a lot to improve on as you go through your career. Um, you know, I, I would say that that might be really the, the final piece for a lot of players. I, I think it was for me that, you know, to be able to do your job consistently through a long NHL season, like you mentioned, um, that preparation is everything. Um, you know, your skills have been developed. You're, you know, you can do certain things on the ice, but are you ready to do it consistently every shift, every night um, for a long season? Um, and I think for me, that was probably sort of that, not maybe the last piece, but the last big piece of the puzzle to being the best player I could be, which probably didn't happen until, you know, I don't know, four or five years into my career, maybe more, maybe six or seven, in all honesty, um, before I really got to a point that I felt, you know what, I, I feel competent at, at doing this now, at being ready to play almost every night. And, um, you know, it, it's a tough thing to learn. I, I do try and pass that along to, you know, these 12 year olds I'm coaching, but <laughs> they're more, you know, you know, the old saying squirrel and, and they're distracted, you know, they're distracted. Um, I, I'm saying some stuff that's going over their head, but uh, maybe it'll be in there for one day. Honestly, on a far different level, because uh, I have uh, like this much athletic ability compared to you, but I remember teaching my kids and I would say things like, well, this is what Scott Niedermeyer would do, or I covered baseball and basketball. So I'd say, Hey, listen, I, you know, you can't do it on that level, but this is what so-and-so would do. And one time my middle-aged son, Connor just barked right back at me. I'm not that player. I'm just <laughs> Connor, you know, and like, Oh no, I know. I know. Like you, yeah. you can't hit that jumper necessarily nine out of 10 times from the corner with a man draped all over you. But <laughs> It, it, it didn't work. It did. Yeah. That, that's one of the great things about it. I find with these kids um, is that, you know, they're, they're seeing it differently than you are. And, and that is so true in everything in life, you know, whether it's kids or people, your same age, older, we all have our own perspectives. And, and sometimes the kids come up with some great stuff and um, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's work. Sometimes it's, it, there's it's frustration, but um, a lot of times it puts a smile on my face to to hear stuff like that, you know, which, which brings it back to reality and I guess where it should be for sure. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like having retired and then being able to move into that part where you are coaching and you're working with the young kids, was that, you know, really helpful to you in the retirement process? Because your whole life is so regimented through hockey when you're playing, even as a kid and through your whole career. And then it's like all this free time must be on your hands. Did it feel almost necessary to somewhat implement yourself in something like that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that's another difficult transition now having gone through it. And, you know, I don't even know if I'm through it yet. Ten years later, <laughs> I think I'm still trying to figure it out because you're exactly right. I mean, our, our lives have been structured. You know, we knew hockey season was around the corner. We know we have practice tomorrow. There's a game on the weekend, whatever it is. And and you just kind of keep marching forward. And uh, I think, you know, having gone through it, you kind of realize as humans, we do pretty well with that kind of structure yeah. and, and commitment to something and just being part of what, it, you know, of something more than, um, you know, ourselves, I suppose. But um, it, it took a while to get comfortable with it. Um, like I said, I think I'm still sort of navigating that, you know, like I said, this year, I'm less busy than, than I have been for, 
a number of years because for a while I was doing work with uh, the Anaheim Ducks when we were down in California. And, you know, that combined with uh, my kids, I, I was quite busy, actually. Um, the last couple of years up here, it's been a little less so, a um, little more time on my mountain bike, a little more time out skiing. Um, but again, my expectation of what retirement would be for me has definitely been different than reality. Once again, <laughs> um, you know, my wife, uh, the four kids, they all have their own ideas of, you know, and, and their own lives that are, that are happening. So little ideas I had of becoming a ski bum or whatever it might be, uh, you know, haven't really come true a hundred percent because I'm part of this family and, and there's a lot going on. So, um, I'm getting close to figuring it out. I'm, get, I'm getting closer than I was 10 years ago. <laughs> what what went into the decision to decide to go back to BC? I mean, you're from BC. I know you're not living in the town you grew up in, but what what went into that that you felt that it was right for you and your family? I think we, at least my wife and I, were both from British Columbia, um, had thought about it, you know, from the time we retired, uh, you know, where, where are you going to call home? I mean, at at a certain point, you didn't really have a choice. You're playing hockey. That's, you know, again, you know, sometimes that's nice. You just go where you have to go and do what you have to do. Um, but then we were given this choice, um, you know, and I think I thought we'd probably be back here sooner. But again, going back, the kids had their lives. Uh, my wife was very happy and, and had a great network of, of friends and activities down in California. And, um, you know, 10 years later, we're still there or eight years later, I guess, after we were still there. Um, then my one of my boys had a chance to play some junior hockey. Um, and Lisa decided, you know what, this maybe is a time to, to move back to BC, give it a shot, um, give him the chance to do that. And, and we'll go back there. Our oldest boy had graduated high school. So there was a lot of sort of things with timing for everybody's situation that seemed right. So uh, we thought we'd give it, a, give it a try. And are you happy to be home? Yeah, I, it's been great. Um, I am a small town, you know, kid. Um, <laughs> grew up here in BC in a, in a small town and, and just enjoy that, that lifestyle. Um, you know, I learned to, to enjoy the big city and, and things it has to offer for sure. In the 25, I don't know, 25 years or whatever it was <laughs> that, that we lived in, in big cities, but, um, it is nice to be back in a, in a smaller town for sure. You mentioned your, your children and, and your son's playing the sport you and your brother, Rob grew up to be NHL players. So you, one of the all-time best voted top 100 Hall of Famer, all that sort of good stuff. Uh, Rob, though, had an exemplary career. My point is neither of your parents were hockey players or known for playing a sport. Do you think it was difficult? It's been difficult for your kids? Like They walk into a rink, that's Scott Niedermeyer's child and their expectations. Do you ever talk to them about it? Do they talk to you I, about it? Yeah, no, they don't, they don't bring it up. I, I don't think they know any different, but I, I think I can sort of recognize um, that it is different for them um, in, in all sorts of ways. I, I think some good, some bad, um, you know, so I do try and talk to them about it, you know, ask them, you know, about different things, if it's happening or, you know, what they're feeling about it. Um, you know, there are definitely expectations, I think, uh, that, that come with that, that, uh, I never had as a kid. Um, you know, I, I had sort of no expectation really to do anything. I was just another player from a small town. Um, you know, whereas, you know, people hear a name and all of a sudden they, their thoughts go right to as hockey fans to, to my career, I suppose, even my brother's career a little bit. And, um, so they do have these expectations on, on the other side. I kind of, what I do bug my kids about is that, 
they kind of think if dad could do it, then I think, you know, anybody could do it. So how hard, how hard can it be? Like, well, we'll just do the same thing. We'll, we'll just, no you know, big deal. Yeah. We'll just go play in the NHL. We're like, what, you know? Um, so I do, I do tease them a little bit about that, um, that they think maybe it's a little easier, um, or closer to reality than it is for a lot of people. But, uh, I, I just, and I, I know they are, they, they love it. Um, they have a lot of fun out there competing, um, you know, with their teammates, which is such a big part of hockey, the time you get to spend together, the relationships you have. And, and I see them enjoying that. And, uh, I think that is, is better than anything, um, about the game and to see them enjoying that part of it. You know, all those other things I, I think we can deal with hopefully and, and handle. I know you're co- you've done some coaching with them and you know in an assistant level and as a head level but is it fun for you to just be a hockey dad you know when you're not doing those things and you get to stand on the sidelines with your Tim Hortons in your hand and just <laughs> be one of the the dads or the parents yeah. I should say Yeah you know it, it it's a lot of fun um you know obviously as parents all know um it's a great thing to see your kids you know, learning things, enjoying themselves, you know, creating relationships, doing all the things that, that you remember as, as highlights and, and, and moments of your childhood. Um, so it's, it's great to see that. I, I love that. And then like I said earlier about just the moments that you have, whether, you know, if I am on the ice or on the bench with them, kids being kids, um, it, it's great as, as, as you get older, you, you know, it's, you kind of get set in your way. So to hear some of the stuff these kids say, <laughs> just, it brightens your day. I mean, it, it, sometimes you just get, you know, you're like, you know, that's great. And just kind of makes your day. So I'm, t- I'm really enjoying being part of it all, all parts for sure. You talked about how, you know, and, and Maddie brought it up how, you know, oh, that's Scott Niedemeyer's son or, you know, do you ever feel that as you're watching a game that, you know, oh, that's, that's Scott Niedemeyer from the parents? Do you ever um, get that, like that you know something's there? Yeah, oh well, yeah, yeah. You, it's funny. You, you kind of can pick it out actually pretty quick after a while. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a certain kind of little quick glance or a, a little hush, or you catch a, a certain look. Uh, you know, so you, you you do get kind of used to or, or picking that out. Um, you know, I, I it's it's by no means overwhelming. By no means am I the Beatles walking into a rink. I mean, it's just. You know, some people nowadays, actually, the kids don't even know who I am because I'm, I'm too old. So, you know, they're like, what? Time you, passes. What? So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's fine. It's it's the parents actually now. Yeah. Like, okay, I remember that guy. But um, So, yeah, it's good to still be remembered a little bit. But yeah. I guess it's, you know, like you said, yeah, that, those, those times are, are moving around, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Then you have some parent who goes, turns to his wife the man won four stanley cups and he did that in the last minute of play like what was he doing did he why was he sending oh, yeah. those guys out there <laughs> oh yeah no i i'm sure there's still really uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of experts and a lot of second guessing for sure that, that comes with the territory <laughs> so you did win four stanley cups we'll get around to some of the hockey stuff uh it's been great to share the stories about uh, what you're doing now but i know the fans also want to hear about your playing days, four Stanley Cups, three with the Devils, one with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, you won basically every championship that could be won. Gold medals in the Olympics, World Juniors, uh, Memorial Cup championships. You, you've got a closet full of gold. It's, 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 uh, it's something that uh, 
you know, most people dream of and they get a little bit. They might be an Olympic champion, but not a Stanley Cup champion, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it starts from a professional side. 1991, the Devils draft you third overall. Was there some, did you understand that that was, that was like the Lindros draft and you knew he was going to go number one uh, and he did, but you didn't know necessarily where you were going to go. Like take us back to, to that draft day and that draft period. Yeah, it, it uh, you know, it's a crazy time in your life, for sure. Um, you know, two years prior to that, I was playing bantam hockey in Cranbrook, BC, where I grew up. Just another kid dreaming of the NHL, fascinated by what those players were part of and what they did on the ice. And, you know, they're your idols and, and you're pretending to be them. Um, on the road playing road hockey or on the pond or wherever it might be to all of a sudden getting drafted into the actual NHL, which you thought was another world at least I did. And, uh, just how quick that stage of your life happens. Um, when you're in the middle of it, you don't think about it a whole lot. It just, you just kind of take it as it comes. But now when I think back on that, it's, it's pretty shocking how quickly that all unfolded. Um, it was the, the Lindros draft. There was a lot of hype, you know, he, he was such a dominant player in junior hockey and it was kind of the start of, you know, a lot more media attention and, and coverage and, and, uh, information on young players. Um, you know, so that allowed the rest of us really to not be bothered by any of that. I mean, it was all on Eric and he, he had it all, he had the spotlight and we just continued to do what we could. Um, I, I enjoyed the, you know, meeting some of the NHL teams and uh, kind of going through what at the time was a pretty simple sort of routine for how there was no combine. I only, I think I went to maybe three, flew into three cities to look around, do a few minor tests, physical tests, you know, not even, I don't even remember maybe doing official interviews. We might've done some interviews where you're sitting around talking, but um, compared to now what what goes on it was it was minuscule the amount of stuff we did but for some reason I I don't know why I, I um, but I, I did have a feeling that New Jersey might be where I ended up um, San Jose had the second pick uh, Pat Falloon um, who they drafted um, had a great whole year their team won the Memorial Cup that year with the Spokane Chiefs and he had a, a huge amount of goals and points um, I got injured late in the season and didn't play through the rest of the year. And it just kind of felt that that was the way it was going to fall. Um, um, I did go down to New Jersey. I remember going to a Yankees game, going out to eat and Olu was there and, um, you know, doing a few fitness uh, tests at South mountain arena where, you know, practice back then. So um, I remember all, all those things. It was a whole new world to me being on the East coast and, you know, in the New York metropolitan area, Northern Jersey. Um, was an eye opener for sure. Um, and then to hear your name called and go up on stage, obviously is, is a, an, a, mo a moment that, um, not, not a lot of people get to experience and, and it's, it's a pretty exciting moment for a young hockey player, obviously. Do you know the backstory to how the devils got the third pick? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you know it at the time or did you learn it along no, the way? I didn't, I didn't really pay attention at the time. You know, yeah, you, were, you were a kid. Yeah, exactly. I was a kid. Um, but, but I get remind, I got reminded of it almost every time we went to Toronto, that it was somebody <laughs> who, you know, had to ask the question, the media there, you know, fairly intense coverage of, of the Leafs. And, 
um, you know, I got brought up a lot there. And actually, a funny story when I was uh, after I had retired, um, doing some work for for Anaheim, and I think I was in Chicago watching a game, and up up walks a tall, you know, gentleman that I'd never met before, and and he says hello, Scott, or whatever, and. Um, I just, you know, we're, we're really connected. I, I just want to uh, introduce myself and just kind of, you know, say we finally actually met after all these years. And uh, he says, I'm Tom Curvers. And, <laughs> you know, we, we've been connected, even though we haven't met each other um, through our careers and, and how things have played out. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of fascinating to, to see those things. But, yeah, at the time, I just knew New Jersey had the third pick. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know how or why they had it. And, um you know, to be honest, never even thought much about it until, you know, going into Toronto and getting, you know, met, talked about it a little bit here and there. And and then when I did meet Tom, who was very nice guy, you know, and, and just kind of um, wanted to connect and, and say hello. Um, yeah. I mean, that's life, right? All the different paths are different decisions and yeah. away you go. Oh, yeah. And and he's handled it well. And God bless Tom. Uh, you know, he's in a little bit of a yeah. health battle and 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 we hope that things go well for him but he handled the whole thing very well and the backstory is the devil's trade tom curvers who was a high scoring relatively high scoring defenseman to toronto in advance of the 91 draft and lou would later say listen we were hoping that toronto would fall to the point where we could get eric lindros it's funny be careful what you ask for right instead so toronto never thought that they were going to be that bad that year they're really bad and yeah. they're going to be embarrassed that they've traded away what turns out to be the number one pick and the devils will take Eric Lindros. So they do the anti tank tank. <laughs> they make deals with Quebec to make they're hoping that Quebec yeah. gets a little better or they get a little better and Quebec gets a little worse. Right. And then yeah. it turns out Quebec had the pick and Toronto finished third and devils <laughs> got that selection and it turned yeah. out to be Scott Niedermeyer and, uh, you know, the fortunes of a lot of teams yeah. and people changed on, on that day. Amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, just how life can all play out, different things that happen in, in different times in everyone's life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you get thinking too much about that stuff, it almost is sort of like, Rabbit how hole. does anything happen? Yeah, it's like, you know, so um, it, it worked out great. I mean, I, you know, when I got drafted by New Jersey, did I know much about the Devils? Not a whole lot. I did have a jersey, I think, that uh, I don't know why. I think I just liked it. And I'm, when I was young, I got it at some point uh, as a young kid, and I had it in my closet. Um, but did I know much about the team or you know their success or who was on the team? Not, not a lot. And, uh, I mean, man, did it work out perfectly. <laughs> <It's really>. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it sure so, did. Did you know where New Jersey was? Because Dano, of course, legendarily did not know. Does he still, does he know yet? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> um, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a storyteller, but I, this is a little Dano, New Jersey connection story. Be real quick that Dano came up to my wedding, which I really appreciated. Um, but having lived in New Jersey for as long as he had and where you had to full service gas, you, you know, someone filled your car with gas and he, he called, he had to call me because he didn't know how to fill his car with gas when he got up there. So sorry, Donald. Um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, but I don't blame him. I mean, after you live in New Jersey and you just sit there and someone fills you up and away you go. Um, oh, 
It's crazy because, so I've lived in New Jersey now. This is my fourth year living in Jersey and my first year having my car here because I would leave my car back in Montreal and I brought it down once the pandemic started. And I got out. I didn't know. Yeah. Like, I didn't right. know. So I just, like, got out. And, like, yeah, I felt yeah. like I was getting yelled at. Come <laughs> like, on, girl. Come on, girl. It's Jersey. Well, that's that's the other side. Know. That's the other side of it, right? So it is, it's kind of a, a unique Jersey thing, I, I think, that, uh, you know, makes it a special place for sure. No, and I'm used to, like, Montreal winters, right? Standing out there, freezing, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, and from time to time, they want to change that law. And yeah. it always really? gets shot. Oh, yeah, because, it, you know, it always gets shot down. Listen, it's a money saver, right? The, yeah. the, the, yeah. the people who own gas right. stations will say, oh, no, it's for thus and such. But yeah. reality is you have to pump the gas. They can hire fewer people so they make more money. Yeah. But no way. Jersey never goes for it. The legislature, <laughs> you can raise taxes in New Jersey yeah. and you won't get as much of a reaction as the yeah. attempt to change that rule. And uh, it's, it's that's great. That's a great story sort though, of, Scott. Pardon me? That's a great story of Dan. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should offer some sort of a quick education in high school, how to actually do it. So when you leave the state that you can, <laughs> you, you can do it, right? So, Easy yeah. thing to do as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I can just picture you getting that call. Peter, Peter. Yeah. Right before yeah. your wedding, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, Love the man. He's the best. Anyway, yeah, I didn't really know where Jersey was, didn't know much about it. And uh, off, you know, off I went. I think I I was just shy of my 18th birthday. Um, I remember flying down for training camp in the end of August. And I actually was quite sick. Just, I don't know, the flu bug or something that got me the night before. And I'm like, this is the worst timing in the world. Here I am going to, but but I got to get there. So I managed to get on the plane and and get down to New Jersey and um man I mean it uh just happy to be there you know it uh, a lot of veteran guys there that had really accomplished a lot and I was pretty young and naive uh actually an old teammate um who I played with in junior was there Dean Melcock a big defenseman um was there so that really sort of helped me a lot just having someone there to, to ask questions to or to be comfortable with but everybody was great once I got there and um you know, who, who knew where that whole journey would end up? I mean, I, I sure didn't. <laughs> I was, I was just wondering, like, don't mess up this next drill in, in, uh, you know, training camp. I mean, just don't fall on your face. That, that was, that was all I was aiming for at that point. <laughs> I mean, you've talked about, you know, where your career ended up and, you know, four Stanley cups is, you know, remarkable. So I want to know what was the main difference, let's say for, to keep things shorter between number one and number four, like where did they both rank in terms of something special to you? Yeah. I mean, I do get asked that question, you know, rating and ranking all your experiences in hockey. Um, And I think out of the Stanley cups, those two, you know, for, for different reasons are, are the special too, um, or more special. I mean, they're all amazing. (laughs) um, You know, Um, but obviously winning for the first time um, I was, I, yeah, 22, 22 years old, um, or no, 21. I was turning 22 in August after we won. So I was 21 years old. So again, I'm a kid. I, I don't know. I mean, what do I know about, you know, the Stanley Cup? Yeah, that's, that's what you're trying to win. And we won it. So I'm excited. You know, that's as far as it really goes. You're not thinking too much about anything other than that, that the Stanley Cup's amazing. It's the ultimate goal. You won it. Awesome. Party, excitement, you know, 
um, enjoy it. Um, you know, fast forward or, you know, what that, that was, uh, 07. So 12 years later or whatever, I don't know what my, is my math, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You got <laughs> that's it. it. That's <laughs> it. I got it. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've been around now and you've, you've had failures, um, you know, in, in playoff hockey, you've, you've had setbacks in, in your career personally as a team. Um, you've seen other players go through different, different things. Um, you've seen, you know, even going back to my brother, I, I yep. the year after we, I won the first one, Florida makes it to the Stanley cup final. I remember going down watching the last two series down in Florida, cheering him on. I mean, you know, how hard is winning the Stanley cup? I won one. Now my brother's close, uh, you know, but they lose, um, you know, he doesn't get back there and, until three where, where we actually play against him loses again. Um, so it really just puts it again into a different perspective where you realize how lucky I was to win it as, as young as I was. And then there's players and a bunch of them on Anaheim in 07 when I won the fourth one that had played their whole careers, 14, 15 years, Pronger, Solani, my brother, Todd Marchant, Brad May, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably Sean O'Donnell, a bunch of guys that had played over 10 years in the NHL had been chasing a Stanley Cup and hadn't won it yet. Um, so to me, that was really obvious, just looking at how hungry they were for it, how much it meant to them. Um, and then to see them realize that goal, um, you know, as well as my brother and myself, I just really took a lot of satisfaction in being part of that for them. And, and just such a different mindset than a 21 year old just hooting and hollering <laughs> because you won the Stanley cup. I mean, I, I definitely understood what, how it happened and why, and, and the effort so many people put in the players, the, the whole staff, coaches, trainers, just everybody involved that, that it takes in the organization, um, to accomplish it. And, uh, it, you know, that, that makes it, I think more rewarding and you, and you appreciate it more just knowing that and rec at least recognizing that the work people have done and, and their efforts um, that have got you to, to where you wanted to get to. You were part of two pretty significant gold medal wins for Canada as well. And I have to ask this as a Canadian and, you know, I watched the 50 year streak being broken and finally returning uh, to gold medal prominence, which must've been a really cool moment, but a lot of pressure on everyone's shoulders. And then in 2010, you're in your home province, in your home building. Um, what were those two victories like? Captain as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, they, they were great and special, obviously. <laughs> um, but you're right. Uh, there, there was pressure. <laughs> there was expectation. Um, how is that pressure one. different, by the way? Like, how do you feel that pressure differently? Um, From I, I NHL I mean, I, I think just the situation was different when we were in Salt Lake, the pressure, we, we were well aware of it. We yeah. weren't surrounded by it when we left the rink or driving down the highway. Um, you know, we were pretty isolated in Salt Lake. The, the athlete village was at university of Utah, I think. And there was no, there weren't fans. There weren't people walking around other than the athletes and go to the rink. And that was really the only time we sort of saw the energy and, and the, the fans um, whereas Vancouver was the totally opposite. We were yeah. sort of staying right adjacent to downtown. We could hear the cheering and the singing and the, you know, all day long. Um, and, and so we, we were part of it there more so than, than in Salt Lake, but we, we knew 
that it had been 50 years. That was quite clear <laughs> um, to all of us. Um, you know, and, and those type of tournaments where there's just a one game kick at the can, um, they're exciting for fans, but they're, they're added pressure as, as an athlete. There's, there's no question. Um, you know, and, and, and it only comes around four years. So if you, you screw this one up, um, you know, might not be on the next team, right? Oh, yeah. You might not be there. And yeah, your next opportunity doesn't come for a long time if it does, just like you said. So, um, to be able to, to eat both those games out and win gold medals, um, I guess makes it more satisfying. It makes it for better stories now, <laughs> a bunch of years <laughs> later, um, with a little less, uh, stress and, um, you know, that type of energy, but, um, great, great experiences. I, I put that the gold medal in, in Vancouver in 2010 as sort of the, the three moments that if you want me to pick them, those are the three that I've been able to pick just ahead of the others, um, for a few unique reasons. Um, so. How was the game different in terms of what you were experienced, let's say, um, from your first Stanley cup or your first Olympic gold to when you were at the end where you won in 2010, and then you also won your last uh, Stanley cup. How did the game change in between those? And how were you able to adapt in, in a sense? Yeah, I think the game had changed a bit, obviously in 05 after the lockout, there'd been a, a change sort of how the rules were called. And uh, that actually, for my sort of skill set was, was a positive, um, yeah. you know, with, with skating and, and that sort of thing. That was always how I played the game. Um, there were definitely some, some tricks that some of the old, my old D partners and teammates taught me that you weren't allowed to do anymore. <laughs> um, so there was adjustments for sure. It, it, it was, uh, you know, big adjustments, especially on the defensive side of the puck, um, with how you could do it. Um, but it, but the overall change of the game, I think, was actually a positive thing for me um, individually, um, and I, and I think fortunately those those big moments um, were maybe like you said, Matt. I was the captain. Those moments, I I had been around. I, I had been in high pressure moments. I had seen and felt what works, what doesn't work. Um, so I I had I had some confidence and an understanding. I I knew what it what had to happen there, you know, the approach and, and to give yourself at least the best chance of winning and almost even knowing that you, you can't guarantee that and, and not right. to sort of fear the opposite in a way where, which can, can be bad too. Um, at least I found that, um, you have to go out there with a little bit of freedom to be at your best, um, and just confident in what you're doing is going to give you your best chance to win. Um, in you know a game of hockey or a shift or whatever it is um so I'm, i was fortunate that i'd been around i'd been in a lot of high pressure situations uh you know big moments were on the big stage and it definitely helped in those situations for sure you you, you maybe answered this question with what you just said but earlier you talked about stress and you know in canada <laughs> captain winning a championship being in the midst of the city with all that was going on around in those olympics and i don't think i've ever heard stress really associated with scott niedermeyer because there was a free-flowing way to your game uh it just seemed whatever you know that old horrible hockey saying not too high not too low but you just seemed to have this approach that wasn't flatline you were competitive but 
I guess what I'm saying is you're saying that you felt stress at times and you handle it by just not worrying about it. So just, just biting my nails. That, that's what I would do. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I, I don't think as I got older, it was sort of not worrying about it. I think it was recognizing it. I mean, you, you knew what was at stake. I mean, the Olympics, um, you know, in 02, you know, it had been 50 years since Canada had won a gold medal. That was just unacceptable for most Canadians. And, and something had to happen um, about that. You know, up in Vancouver, <clears throat> in your home country, after a very successful Olympics by all the Canadian athletes who had performed extremely well, won lots of medals, had great performances. Um, the women's hockey team won the gold medal. And here, here we were, the last day, the last event of the, the Olympics. You know, not only was it, you know, hockey, ice hockey that we're supposed to win a gold medal, but it had gone so well. There'd been so much success that if we had messed that up, um, it really wouldn't have been a good ending <laughs> to the whole, no. the whole sort of story of, of the Vancouver Olympics. So there was a lot of pressure. I, I don't think not worrying about it is necessarily the, the answer. It's sort of worrying about what you can control and, and understanding that that is what works. And I, and I think that's what I'd learned. I think messed it up a number of times as a younger player and worried about worrying, <laughs> like worried about what if, what if we lose? What if this? And in the, you know, as you're getting ready for a game, you're not setting yourself up to be at your best. At least I, I found. I, I think you had to really just trust, focus on the work you'd put in, trust your teammates, trust that when you go out and do your best, that that's your best chance at winning and you're not guaranteed it. And, and you have to sort of be somewhat, at least I found okay with that result. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if you're at all, you know, totally fearing the worst, I don't know if there's any energy or room for anything else. And, and that, that's kind of what I found. So you, you can't really ignore it. It's just, what do you focus on and try and train your brain to, to deal with? And it's your, it's your, preparation it's the stuff that has led you to that point i had yeah. nerves during that 2010 <laughs> game i'm telling you i didn't even watch the overtime i was under like the sheets i just like i couldn't deal with the stress i needed you scott to talk me through it well hey we we if i could have done that i would have too but <laughs> exactly. we, we had to go back out there we were, so, yeah. were you on the ice for either of those goals the uh the tying goal or the, the both both you're on for both, okay, which would yeah. make sense. You're on in the last minute, protect, yeah. uh, protecting a lead, and then I just wasn't sure if you had yeah. a, that was did your you shift. Hear, did you Sid's hear? Did you hear Sydney call uh, Iginla? Um, I, I probably That's did a at the time. Call, I don't right? remember it now. Yeah. I don't remember hearing him, but um, I was I was on the ice. You know, the puck had got into the corner. I think the U.S. had sort of got a little out of position. I actually was kind of coming right down the middle of the ice. I think I was yelling at Sid. I thought I was yelling. Maybe he didn't hear me, I guess. Because <laughs> I was just coming. I thought I was wide open. And, you know, but I'm, I'm glad he shot it. I I'm, mm. wasn't known for my goal scoring as much as other things. But, um, yeah, pretty vivid, you know, seeing just I, – I do sort of remember the puck hitting the back of the net, you know, that there's a padding around the lower bar. And you, I just saw that hit, hit uh, that part of the net. And, I mean – it's a pretty simple mundane thing that is not that big a deal really. But at that moment, that oh, was man, the biggest yeah. deal 
going. Right. And, and so that was a pretty neat vantage point I had. I was just kind of coming right down the center of the ice and he's coming from, from my left. And then all of a sudden just a thud, the pucks in the back of the net. So <laughs> out from under the covers. So we just, yeah, oh, trust <laughs> me, I, did. I, was like, okay. yeah. I, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch no. a second of it. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. It was, it was, it wasn't, it, it, it was disappointing on this side of the border. Just sorry, yes, just sorry in case. About it. Listen, kudos, you won, and uh, and, and the celebration you know was on. We we were nervous about that team. I mean, Ryan Miller to begin with was had a great tournament. He did. I mean, you know, you get a goalie playing at that level in a one game situation, you know, you don't, you're not in full control, and and you know, you're, you're again, just do our best, do what we can because he's, he's on top of his game. I mean that, you know, they came in with low expectations. They were a young team, very talented and man, did they have a great, great tournament. So, um, full, we had full respect going into that game for what that team was, how they were playing. Back to the time with the New Jersey devils. That was, that those early, well, in fact, throughout your career, characters, character in the good sense, characters, in a good sense as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, the game of hockey has changed so dramatically. A lot of that character is still there, but the characters have been pushed aside. Uh, what do you What do you reflect on when you think of the characters that formed some of those early teams for the Devils? And I'm thinking of Scotty Stevens and Dan Owen and Randy yeah. McKay and Bobby Holik. I mean, yeah, man, what a group. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I... I Anytime I, I look back and talk about my career, I, you know, just how fortunate and grateful I am for so many pieces of it. And that's absolutely one of them. I mean, the friends, the teammates that I was able to make and, and you know, spend time with and, and be on a team with. And you're exactly right. These guys were unique, fun characters, um, many very different very different, which, which made it even more entertaining. You know, you mix a Bobby Holik and a Stevens together, you miss a Scotty Stevens or a Bobby Holik and a Ken Danico. I mean, you know, these are very different people and uh, here we are together a lot and um, competing side by side, you know, trying to do the same things with, with such different outlooks on life and character, you know, different personalities. Um, we had a lot of fun and, uh, I, I would find it hard to believe that that the players nowadays, hockey's a fun game, but we, I doubt they're having more fun than we did. I, I, I think that would be hard to pull off. <laughs> With that group, absolutely. Uh, the the bus rides must have been fascinating too, <laughs> and, and and from uh, the airport, uh, just knowing, you know, just yeah, knowing. Those I mean, boys. that's actually another great point. Like you know, nowadays with our with our phones. And from what I've seen, you know, the kids are on the players on the bus looking at their phone. We yeah. had no phones. I mean, we, we had to entertain ourselves and, you know, thank goodness we had Dano and we had, you know, Randy McKay or Mike Peluso or Chris Terreri, uh Turner. I mean, just the, the, I could sit here and, you know, so many characters that, you know, it was just maybe in a way they were allowed to be themselves a little more. Everything now is very professional, right from a young age, you know, trying to be committed and focused on reaching goals and all this. You know, I, I don't know if Dano, Dano was just playing hockey for the love of hockey when he was probably in junior. I, I don't, I, I don't think he was 
you know, fully committed to the structure of his training and diet and sleep and, and everything. To get, I know I wasn't. So I'm sure Dano, eight, 10 years before me, wasn't doing it. He was just loving life, enjoying it as it came. Um, and just, you know, those bus trips were, were a lot of fun. In junior hockey, we were on the bus for hours and hours and days sometimes. And uh, we didn't have a phone to entertain ourselves with. It was just you had each other and, and you know, you did your best and, and had a lot of fun. Without, uh, you're not a guy who tells tales out of school, and I respect that. But can you give us one, like, uh, one that when you guys get together, you tell, uh, you know, talk about to each other, just, or a funny locker room moment, um, an exchange, just like, can you believe that just happened? But you can because you know who's involved. Yeah. Other, I mean, than, other than pumping gas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe don't throw Dano under the bus. Again. Not Dano again. I was going to go with Dano. Uh, you know, I could go another real sort of interesting throwback character was Doug Gilmore, um, who I'd never met. And, uh, you know, we traded, traded for him. I don't even remember when, but I ended up rooming with, with him, um, right away. Uh, and I, and I didn't even really know the guy. I think maybe we said hello and, you know, all of a sudden you're rooming with this guy and, um, so, uh, you know, our alarm goes in the morning and, and I look over and I hear him go like 97, 98, 99, <laughs> like he's, he's doing crunches in his bed. Like, you know, here's a guy I don't know, you know, never, <laughs> never met, you know, and, and right into jokes and, and just goofing around, you know, trying to pretend he's done a hundred sit-ups already. You know? like, um, just it's your days are full of moments like that. Um, and at least were, and I'm sure they still have, have a great time and there are still lots of moments like that, but, um, you just, yeah, I don't know, at least in public, you don't see sort of the, the real people, the characters that are in the game as much as you, you did back a long time ago now when, when I started. That's part of the, like the microscope, right? That these yeah. guys are under a, from an early age and, you know, just with social media in general, every little thing, they're just on guard right? Yeah. They're human beings. <laughs> no, it, may, it makes sense. I mean, I, I get it. Um, yeah. Again, I, I, I feel fortunate that I, <laughs> I got to have be to part deal of the yeah. pre-social media world. Um, Cameras I, everywhere. I, I told yeah. the line. I, I don't think I would have been overly concerned, but just to have the freedom of the other guys to not, yeah. you know, have that to worry about. Um, we, we had fun because of it. Were you ever intimidated by Lou? Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, Lou, Lou is, uh, demanding, you know, um, knows what he wants. So I think when you combine those two things, um, you understand that there's not a lot of leeway. I mean, there's, there's big, you know, guardrails and that you've got to stay in there. <laughs> if not, um, you know, but like I said, I was fortunate that I, I wasn't a guy that felt the need to to see what's on the other side of those guardrails. Much. I, <laughs> I kind of was like, okay, yeah, we got to be in. I'm in. We, you know, that that was just my personality. Um, I didn't have to sort of fight that too much. I know some guys did, and um, I, I think Lou was was accommodating. You know, I, I know I know he he helped guys, and and oh um, yeah, you know he he had his rules and was was strict and demanding with them. But at the same time, he understood we're all human. We're all have our approaches and things we need to learn or, or, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I, I think as a young player, for sure, coming in, you know, Lou has your attention for sure. 
He does. Well, and I ask that because, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, Lou has done so much behind the scenes helping players along. And, you know, he he does liken it to a family for a good reason. You don't always get along. There's some discipline that's necessary. But in the end, you're in it together. But I ask because you did hold out twice. And survive least, both yeah. times. Right? <laughs> well, 98, right? And then again in 2000. I think, yeah. Was there a third yeah. one? I'm trying Maybe to remember. more. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I felt like I held out every time. But <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to, you know, here's a tough, tough Lou. So I had to be tough, tough Scott, you know, trying to be on the other side of that negotiation. Um, yeah, it, uh, those were, were tough moments for sure. Um, you know, you kind of look around and, and you see what's happening with other players on your team in the league. And I guess you always have yourself in a certain position where you think you fit and you negotiate. And I'm um, looking back now, I totally have, you know, Lou's doing his job for what he's supposed to do. And I guess I was doing mine for, you know, at that moment, that was the time that I had to take care of the business side in, for my department. And, uh, you know, so, but in the moment it was frustrating. It was tough. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure I learned a few things going through those uh, those moments for sure. Uh, last one, I'll let you go. You won, or at least last one for me. So you won, because I want to follow up just a little bit on the one holdout in 98, because you said you won a gold medal in Utah, but you also played in Utah before then, <laughs> right? You yeah. played with the Utah Grizzlies in the International yeah. Hockey League when you held down. What was yeah. that like? That, that was fun. I mean, there, you talk about characters again, you know, there, there's characters in, in that league as well. Guys that had been, you know, that was the IHL at the time was more of a veteran league, you know, older, older minor league players, um, guys that had been in the NHL for, for periods as well. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. it. It was a different sort of environment for sure than the NHL. And again, another thing that I'd never really experienced, you know, playing, playing minor league hockey. So I did that for not very long. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I did enjoy it. It was by no means that, but I'd sort of realized I know where I want to be. And yeah. uh, this was not my first place I wanted to be. And um, so, yeah, so I went from there. And then, you know, I, I don't think I signed right away after I left Utah, but, um, you know, I ended up signing and, uh, you know, getting back to, to work and, and really, you know, I, I think back to that and I, I never, I'm sure there were always complaints or this or that. Why isn't he here and that, but I, I never felt that when I got back, I never felt um, that players were sort of, I don't know, there was no ill will at all. I, I just remember coming back. I was excited to be there and your teammates kind of just pick up where the, where it left off and um, which is great. So. Well, it's been great spending time with you, uh, Scotty Niedermeyer. I'm so happy that life has treated you uh, as well off the ice as you treated uh, hockey on the ice. And it's just been a pleasure to uh, share this time. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I lots of great memories um, being a New Jersey Devil um, on and off the ice. And um, I, I really didn't know. When I got drafted in Buffalo in 91, I had no idea how lucky that moment really, or, or I was at that moment that I was going to be a New Jersey devil for 13, 14 years. Um, so very, very grateful for that. Thank you. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? 
carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, but one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. So many stories, so much fun with Scott Niedermeyer. Don, everything he did was in a humble way. He never thought he was bigger than the team, bigger than the game. He just came to play. And I'm glad he gave us, the average athlete, a chance to speak with him. (laughs) A a glimpse into what we could have been, right, Matt, if we just worked a little harder? Exactly. I could have been a contender. Instead, I'm just a bum. (laughs) I got to tell you, like, I I know I was sort of harping on it before at the beginning about, you know, being Canadian and all that. And I'm very proud of my Canadian roots. So to be able to, you know, tell Scott, I think it sounds so cheesy, but like, you know, a, a thank you for being a part of that 2010 Olympic team that did so much for our country in terms of, you know, being a rallying cry, something that, you know, Canadians are generally very humble and don't like to talk about themselves too much, but this gave us so much pride. And so for me to be able to tell that I was hiding under the blanket <laughs> until, <laughs> until they scored. You know, exactly. I, that I don't know. That's something about in this job when you get to meet people or talk to people like that who have had a significant impact in some way. Um, it's nice to just be able to say thank you. Yeah, and uh, it was a pleasure to be able to cover almost every part of Scott Niedermeyer's career. I was on the other side of that uh, cheering yeah, fence. sorry. <laughs> and unfortunately, silver medal is what the United States settled for. But boy, it was great to relive some of those memories uh, with Scott. And this interview comes at a time when there's excitement again about the New Jersey yeah. Devils as the team has gotten off to a good start. Hopefully it's maintained. But you can see, we've talked about pipeline and development of players and they're coming for a long time, but now it, it's right It's right there in front of you. Yeah, it is. And not only is it right in front of you, there's more behind them, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's more top tier talent that aren't quite here yet. So you're starting to see the makings of a core, you know, all at the same time about to make an impact. It's sort of like that, that collision of, of great things that are about to happen. And, and I got to tell you, Matt, like, especially in the first two games, I was, I was actually like really surprised at how well and fast in the transition game they played because I, you know, you don't know when it's been a 10 months off B you have a new coach, a lot of new players. You just don't know how it's going to go when an actual competitive game is in front of you and the Bruins, they're no slouches. So I've been really excited and I I have to like temper my expectations too, because it's just been a couple of games. Well, it is a long season, not as long as it is traditionally, but it's still a long way to go before we get to the finish line. And so, yes, we will temper our enthusiasm just a little bit, but let me tell you, uh, as Jack, you said not too long ago, it took until the seventh game to win their first game last year they've already got that win under their belt. So there's a lot of reason for enthusiasm, excitement, and hope. Let me ask you, Maddie, what was it like for you to be back calling a game? Loved it. Uh, It was 
absolutely thrilling to be back there working with my partner, Chico Resch. We're kind of like hand in glove. We've been around forever, worked on the TV side, now on the radio side. So that's a blast. And just to see hockey again. And that's yeah. been that's what everyone has said, right? I mean, there aren't that many people allowed in the building. And hopefully at some point we'll see more people in the building. But time will tell that story. But those who have to be there, some security people, some of the MT it's people. It's so great to see them. Everyone says the same thing. Great to be back. Great to be back. Great to be back. Great to see hockey. So uh, it, it's it's been a blast. And, and hopefully there are a lot more wins to broadcast as we move along here. Well, we uh, what we do know is that it's going to be exciting. The way they came out of the gates here, that, that offers a lot of hope towards the future of this franchise. Without a doubt. And on that note, and up note, we'll wrap things up on Speak of the Devils, our podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For that former football player <laughs> and this former basketball player, Amanda Stein and Matt Lachlan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your company. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.